Happy hauntings, horror fans. Welcome to the second episode of Megan's Murder Movies. I'm your host, Megan, and today we're breaking out the Ouija board to chat about The Conjuring. This is my absolute favorite horror movie of all times. I have seen it probably probably over 100 times, to be honest, and it still gives me chills at certain points in the movie, which is pretty great. Um, it's definitely one of my comfort films, which sounds weird, but yeah, if I'm having like a rough time, I put this one on because I just love the acting. Um, I love that it still can give me kind of that emotional response. And yeah, if that doesn't show that I need some therapy, then I don't know what does. Disclosure, there will be spoilers throughout the podcast, so listen at your own risk. The Conjuring came out in 2013 and is a supernatural horror film directed by James Wan and written by Chad and Carrie Hayes. The movie is based on a true story about the Perrin family who moved to a farmhouse in Rhode Island with their five daughters. Shortly after moving in, strange events start happening. Ed and Lorraine Warren are called in to investigate these kind of strange happenings, see what's going on. They find that a witch has cursed the land that the family currently lives on. Ed and Lorraine help the family into the attachment that the witch has created, thus saving the mother and young daughters. And this is considered one of Ed and Lorraine Warren's most sinister cases. So a little bit about Ed and Lorraine Warren. Ed is a self-taught and self-professed demonologist, author, and lecturer. And Lorraine professed to be a clairvoyant and a medium who worked closely with her husband. They were really into kind of the supernatural and ghosts and demons. Um, And so they had ghost hunting groups and would just kind of spend their time, you know, researching In 1952, the Warrens founded the New England Society for Psychic Research, which is the oldest ghost hunting group in New England. Um, They authored many books about paranormal investigations and their private investigations into paranormal activity. And yeah, just kind of that's what they spent their life doing. Ed passed away in 2006 at the age of 79, and Lorraine passed away in 2019 at the age of 92. The whole Conjuring franchise that's been created is kind of, you know, revolves heavily, well, basically just specifically around the Warrens cases and investigations that they have done. And with that, we'll kind of jump into some fun facts about the film. So James Wan is the director. He directed the Saw franchise, the Insidious movies. Um, Outside of horror, Wan has directed uh, Furious 7, which was the 2015 version, the seventh installment in the Fast and the Furious franchise, and Aquaman which came out in 2018. As mentioned earlier, Ed had said they passed away before they filmed the first Conjuring movie and kind of got the franchise off the ground, Um, but Lorraine Warren was involved and Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson, who play Ed and Lorraine Warren in the Conjuring franchise, actually flew out and spent some time in Connecticut with Lorraine, preparing for their roles, kind of learning about, uh, you know, the characters that they would be playing as they were in real life. Filming only lasted for 38 days, which seems kind of wild because on average horror movies take roughly around 80 days to film completely. And so this took half the time, which obviously meant the budget was, uh, you know, pretty good in terms of how they did at the box office opening weekend. And the entire film was also shot chronologically, which also does not happen very often in movies at all, is that they will film literally from the front page to the last page of the script. It was all shot in order. um, And James had said that he kind of wanted to do that to keep the hype up and let the story kind of flow and the emotions flow flow organically with the actors. 
The cast and crew actually started to experience strange events during filming. As soon as Vera signed on to play Lorraine, uh, her computer, I guess, ended up having a bunch of scratches on it that she had no idea where they came from. Um, a lot of the cast and crew would wake up between the hours of 3 a.m. and 4 a.m., which is considered the witching hour. And when Carolyn Perrin, the mother, when her family actually came to set to chat with the actors to check everything out and see how things were, she fell and broke her hip. Um, uh, and while James Wan was uh, kind of finishing up last little bits of the script and editing, I guess his puppy at the time kind of got fixated on an area in the room and started barking and getting real aggressive, but there was nothing there, which I don't know if you have animals, but if they ever start just focusing in one area and you can't get their attention from that spot on the wall or that dark corner that they're looking at, definitely a little unsettling and worrying. Production also had to build a 50-foot tree for the film. You'll, uh, If you watch the movie, you'll see kind of the tree in the backyard that the witch uh, supposedly had hung herself from. Uh, they had to build that for production, and that was a very specific vision that Juan had. He had a very specific idea for the tree, how he wanted it to look. And yeah, best, best case scenario was just having it built because there was no way to find a giant tree and have it transferred to the shooting location. <laughs> In talking about one's vision, he also really wanted to keep with the 70s vibe while filming with kind of the music that was used and all of the costume. And he really wanted to make sure that the filming kind of fit the vibe of the 70s style that the film had and when the film was set. Also, the writers, the Hayes brothers, uh, whenever they would talk with Lorraine on the phone, uh, you know, kind of just chatting about details and going over events again um was always plagued with static and a lot of times the phone calls would drop or they would hear weird sounds and it was just every time they seemed to talk to Lorraine it was a little a little spooky all right now let's get into a cast breakdown so we've got a couple people to go through here but first we're going to start with Lorraine Warren, played by Vera Farmiga. She started kind of acting on Broadway. She was in Taking Sides in 1996. Um, she was also in a lot of other things on, you know, kind of within Broadway and in the theater world. Uh, she, one of her most notable roles is Norma Bates in the Bates Motel show. She was also in The Boy in the Striped Pajamas, Source Code. She's been in a ton of stuff. Super great actress. Check her out and some of her other things I would recommend. Um, Ed Warren is played by Patrick Wilson, who also got his star on Broadway. He was in Fully Monty and Oklahoma, Phantom of the Opera, and he also played uh, in Insidious, so he had kind of worked with Juan previously. And also really good, great in very serious roles. Um, I've also seen him in a couple, you know, lighthearted things. Also a good actor if you've got a chance to check him out in some of his other stuff. Lily Taylor plays mother Carolyn Perrin. Uh, she was in Mystic Pizza and Born on the Fourth of July and The Haunting. Ron Livingston who plays the husband Roger Perrin, was in Band of Brothers, which is a TV show, and Office Spaces, uh, now into kind of the Perrin daughters. They had five daughters, and so Shane Lee Caswell was Andrea Perrin, and she was in the Detention movie with Josh Hutcherson. Uh, pretty good if you haven't seen it. Uh, kind of a good little slasher flick, and guest roles in shows like CSI New York, Bones, iCarly, Nancy Perrin, second oldest, uh, was played by Haley McFarlane. She was in American Crime, guest starred in Criminal Minds, ER, and Gilmore Girls. Uh, the next oldest is Christine, played by Joey King. She kind of got her breakout big role in Ramona and Beezus. She was in The Dark Knight Rises, Oz the Great and Powerful, and the Act miniseries, which is super good. Definitely 10 out of 10. Check that out if you haven't. 
the second youngest, I guess you would say, is Mackenzie Foy, who is Renez May Cullen in Breaking Dawn Part 2, guest starred in Hawaii Five-0 and R.L. Stein's Haunting Hour. Um, really great actress. You would definitely recognize her if you watch the Twilight movies. And then April, who is the youngest, is played by was played by uh, Kayla Deaver, and she was in Before I Wake. Drew Thomas, who is played by Shannon Cook, was in Degrassi, The Next Generation, and The 100. Officer Brad Hamilton is played by John Brothers Brotherton. Uh, he was in Fuller House, and he also played in Furious 7 as a stand-in for Paul Walker in some scenes, which, as we talked about earlier, James Wan directed that movie. So I'm guessing that's probably how they met and got connected. And then Judy Warren, who plays the Warren's daughter, is played by Sterling Jernis, and she was in a show called Deception, and she's been in all of the Conjuring films so far as Judy. Now I want to take a second to talk about the score of the film because it's super great and if you get a chance and you like the film, you want to listen to it, just watch the movie and just listen to the score specifically. It's so good. Props to Joseph Passara. He got kind of his start in composing. That's the word I was looking for, composing for films, and really became engrossed with horror film scores after watching Nosferatu and some of the older classic films uh, and their scores. And he does a great job. Absolutely love it. Lots of super spooky strings going on. And I just, yeah, the score is amazing. And with that, I think we can get into the scene by scene breakdown. So we open with unsettling music. It's got the Warner Brothers logo and it's just eerie. It's a lot of strings going on. Not supposed to sound super great for your ears. Immediately sets the audience on edge, which I love. And then it cuts to just a black screen and you hear a woman talking. And she says, it scares us just thinking about it. When you hear it, you'll think we're insane. And so the movie starts off with talking about Annabelle, who is kind of in the movie a little bit, but not a whole lot. So Annabelle is, of course, the doll. That's one of the Warren's most infamous cases. Um, She's a Raggedy Ann doll, which in the movie, she's like a porcelain doll. So little, little difference there, but really not that big of a deal. So it's talking about the Annabelle case, and this just kind of introduces us to the Warrens and what they do and how they help people. We will also get a call back to Annabelle later on in the film. And so the first picture that you see, the first image that you see on the screen after like the Warner Brothers logo and everything is just half of Annabelle's face. And so people who are already like scared of those creepy porcelain dolls are immediately not feeling that. And so the women, the the two roommates, are explaining that, you know, a girl named Annabelle Higgins passed away and she wanted to enter the doll so that she could live with these two young women. They gave her permission, which the Warrens then go on to explain to these two women that that's not how ghosts work. Ghosts don't have that power. That's something that a demon has the power to do. And they explained to the women that the demon wasn't necessarily just wanting the doll. The demon was wanting to get inside the two of them. And so it kind of gives you, gives the audience the first entryway into learning about kind of possession and that ghosts don't have the power to possess people and that the demon was using the doll as a conduit which means you know it's kind of just a vessel for the demon to hang out in and use any way that it needs to to get what it wants 
So the women talk about how Annabelle's been taunting them. They were trying to get rid of her. She kept showing back up in the apartment. She kept moving around. She wasn't where they would leave her, which definitely, it's a doll. It's not supposed to be moving around on its own. Um, and at one point, you know, there there's a couple good jump scares in this opening scene of Annabelle, you know, startling these women. And there's one specifically where Annabelle knocks from the inside of this closet door three times. Or we're saying it's Annabelle, you know, it's actually a demon. Um, but we're just going to call it Annabelle for podcast purposes. So she is inside the closet and she knocks three times, which we will get a call back to later on in the film that that is the demon mocking the father, the son, and the Holy Ghost. Then it cuts to Ed and Lorraine Warren lecturing at a college, talking about the Annabelle case. Uh, someone asks where Annabelle is now. They say that it's somewhere safe. We later learn that the Warrens have Annabelle kind of locked in this glass case in their artifacts room. And so this kind of gives more insight into the Warrens, them lecturing at the college during this little Q&A scene. And so someone asks the Warrens, what, what do people call you? They say demonologists, ghost hunters, wackos. Um, they really just want to be known as Ed and Lorraine Warren. Some people have called them kooks. Uh, you know, they kind of laugh, make jokes about it, but this is what they like doing. This is what interests them. And, you know, they, they just want to tell the world kind of what they found and try to keep people safe What is what seems like their, their main goal. So then it cuts to this black screen and we kind of get this little Star Wars intro, I guess, if you will. You know, there's some yellow paragraphs kind of sliding up into frame. And so I'll just read what that says really quick. It reads, since the 1960s, Ed and Lorraine Warren have been known as the world's most renowned paranormal investigators. Lorraine is a gifted clairvoyant, while Ed is the only non-ordained demonologist recognized by the Catholic Church. Out of the thousands of cases throughout their controversial careers, there is one case, so malevolent, they've kept it locked away until now. Based on the true story, The Conjuring. And as it kind of gets to, you know, the based on the true story, where the audience should be reading that part, there's this really good really good sound effect. I think it's strings. I'm not totally sure, but it just gives me chills every time. I don't know if it's the words or the sound specifically. I think it's both of them together because I've watched this so many times, but I read it every single time and it still gives me a little bit of goosebumps, which I love. So the first shot after the little Star Wars intro, as you will, is from inside the Conjuring house. It's looking out the window. You see this station wagon type car and a moving truck drive up. And so it says it's 1971 Rhode Island. The Perrin family shows up. They have five girls, mom, dad, and a dog and a moving truck. The girls get there. They pick their rooms. The oldest daughter, Andrea, does not seem happy to be there. She basically makes a comment about how she had no choice to move and she's not happy about it, but overall the family seems excited. The dog Sadie, though, will not go in the house, does not want to come inside, so the family starts unpacking to a really great song, which is Time of the Season by the Zombies. If you had never heard it before, definitely recommend. It's a great song. Anyway, Cindy asks April to come inside. So Cindy is like one of the middle children, asks the youngest April to come inside. And April's excited because she found something. And this is where you first see the creepy music box that's going to be talked about and seen throughout the film. 
later that night, after the family's done unpacking what they can for the day, the girls are playing a game that it sounds like they like to play often called hide and clap. And so this is basically where one person, whoever is it, is blindfolded and the other people go hide. So it's like hide and seek, but a little, little bit more high stakes because someone's blindfolded and the only way you can search for people is by having the people who are hiding clap. So you can ask for three claps. This is also where you kind of get a little bit more family background. The dad is going around holding a pizza box, asking if everyone's done eating. He says it's really expensive to feed all of the girls. He's kind of making a joke about it, but you can tell, you know, there's an underlying sense of truth to it, you know, that maybe the family's not that well off. Maybe they're having some money issues. Um, so back to hide and clap. The girls are playing. Christine is it. She finds Nancy in this like closet that leads down to the cellar, but they don't know that quite yet because the cellar has been boarded up. So Christine jumps at Nancy and Nancy busts into the wall, which causes some of the boards to fall down. And that's when they realize that, oh, we have a cellar. There's tons of stuff in the cellar. It's full of junk. Roger goes down with some matches because, of course, it's dark and tells the girls that he doesn't want them playing down there, at least until they can get it cleaned up. But right now that, you know, the basement is kind of the basement slash cellar, whatever you want to call it, is off limits. Now the girls are in bed and you can see that, you know, the family seems really loving with each other. You know, even though the dad made the comment about how it's really expensive to feed them, the, the family really does seem full of love. The parent, you know, the girls are in bed. The parents are in their room kind of unpacking and chatting. And they mention again that Sadie won't come in the house. She's chained up outside. She's safe, so they think. And, you know, hopefully she'll come in in the morning. However, Sadie is standing outside barking at the house. She doesn't seem comfortable. Uh, you know, she seems quite upset. Not that she's uncomfortable to be outside, but she seems just agitated. Um, then Carolyn, the mom, thanks Roger, the dad, for making the move work. It sounds like this is something that she really wanted. She will talk later in the movie about how she thought this would be a really good fresh start for the family. So Roger and Carolyn go to bed. When Carolyn wakes up the next morning, she notices a bruise on her leg, which really isn't anything to worry about at first. They were just moving. She probably bumped it on something. I get bruises all the time that I never know where they come from. So at first, definitely not something to be concerned about right away. Uh, she starts checking on the girls. They're slowly starting to wake up. They're all complaining that the house seems really cold, but it's an old house. Again, nothing super worrisome. Uh, their oldest daughter, Andrea, says that she had a really bad smell in her room and she was complaining about it, but it's gone now. So Carolyn basically is like, well, there you go. Problem solved. She goes downstairs and sees that the clocks have all stopped at the time 3.07 in the morning. So she finds Roger down in the basement and he's, you know, finally got a light going on in there. He's trying to get the um, heater to work so they can get some heat going in the house. And basically just saying that most of the stuff in the basement is junk, but that they're going to have to go through it and see if there's anything worth money in there. Again, kind of relating back to the fact that the family might be having some issues with money, which honestly, who didn't in the 70s when, you know, especially when you have five children, like that's, that's a lot of children to have to take care of. So again, in this scene, you can kind of see that Carolyn and Roger are laughing, joking around. They're kind of throwing a ball back and forth at each other, um, really just emphasizes that happy, normal family. You know, they all seem really loving and they really seem to care about each other, which is how all of these terrible, terrible movies start. <laughs> so everyone kind of starts getting up for the day and April comes downstairs. She's again the youngest and wants to see Sadie, wants to hang out with her dog. 
totally valid. So Carolyn says, oh yeah, Sadie probably is hungry. She probably is ready to come in. Why don't you go grab her? So April goes outside to go around the house and get Sadie. Carolyn and Roger are talking in the kitchen about the clock stopping and Carolyn mentions the bruise that she has on her leg. And all of a sudden you just hear a loud scream and Carolyn drops everything that she's doing to get to April. And you can see throughout the film multiple times that Carolyn is seems to be a really great mom. She knows even when she's in another room, which one of her daughters is screaming just by their voice, even though they don't say anything else, even if it's just a scream, like you'll, you'll notice that she will say their name for whoever's screaming and run to them. And Roger's always like two steps behind. Not that he's not a good dad because he is, but Carolyn is just that like on it and quick to respond. Yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite things. And I don't, I'm sure that that was something that they talked about of that's what they wanted to show kind of her, her loving maternal side. But I love that every single time she is like always on it. And Roger's like, wait, what's happening? And it takes him like two seconds to figure out what's going on. And then he ends up following Carolyn to wherever she's going. So they rush out to April and they find that Sadie is dead. Super sad. Never a good sign. It always seems to happen in these movies where the poor animal gets it first. That should have been their first sign. But of course, you can't just pack up and move. Moving is expensive. And yeah, so sadly, Sadie is no more. Now we jump back to the Warrens. They live in Connecticut with, you know, their family. They currently have a writer over who's writing a story about them. Ed is kind of showing him the artifacts room with, you know, kind of all of the things that they've collected that are supposedly conduits that have demons trapped inside of them. You know, he's chatting with the author and he's like, yeah, you know, it's kind of like a genie in a bottle situation. You can destroy the vessel, but then the genie's just going to come out and find a new vessel to stay in. So it's best just to keep everything in a vessel where it is now locked in this room. And so he explains that they have a priest that comes over once a month to perform like a blessing on the room. You know, the author seems very intense. He asks to see the Annabelle doll. They're talking just kind of about their cases. The guy seems really interested and, you know, a non-skeptic as Lorraine will call him you know, in, in a couple minutes. And then you hear some wrestling in the background. And this is when you meet the Warren's daughter, Judy. She's kind of wanting to see what's going on. So she has snuck into the artifacts room to kind of, you know, see what's going on in there. And Ed explains to her that she's not allowed in that room. It's very dangerous. So, you know, clearly they're wanting to keep her safe. They really clearly love their daughter. And then the author at one point asks Ed about what happened to Lorraine, that something happened to her. And Ed explains that what happened to Lorraine happened during an exorcism, but you really don't get to learn what that is and you won't really know exactly what happened during that exorcism until The Conjuring 2. Uh, But I will let you guys know what happens uh, when we get to it kind of later on in the film when Ed's talking about it because I won't make you guys wait till... So I do the conjuring too to find out exactly what Lorraine saw during that exorcism. So then kind of as the scene progresses, you just get to see kind of more of like Lorraine and Judy's interactions and Lorraine and Ed's interactions. You can tell that Ed just adores both of them so much. Lorraine is so happy to be a mom, loves Judy. Again, a happy, normal, loving family, which is always good to see, but also worrisome to see in horror movies. (laughs) So then we jump back to the parents. It is now 3.07 in the morning and the clocks have stopped. Christine is, she shares a room with Nancy and someone's pulling at her feet. And so she keeps telling them to stop. 
but they're they're kind of not. And then we see that Roger has fallen asleep downstairs. He wakes up to loud knocking sounds in the house. And these knocks are occurring in sets of three, just like we kind of heard and saw at the beginning with the Annabelle doll. And so Roger starts walking around downstairs looking for where the noise is coming from. Is there a door open? What's happening? And it takes quite a while. There's a lot of dead air. And you'll notice that if you kind of pay attention to the sounds of this movie, there's a lot of times where there's nothing happening. Nobody's talking. It's just quiet. And it's quiet with no music. And that's to really build up for a jump scare. And so this one is not a huge jump scare. But as Roger's looking around, he goes to go upstairs to investigate further because he's kind of walked around all downstairs and can't find the source of this knocking that keeps occurring. And Andrea is standing at the top of the stairs and startles Roger, which then I think is supposed to startle the audience. That's not the one that gets me. I'll tell you guys the, the scenes, the scares that get me. So we learn in this scene that Cindy sleepwalks and that's actually what's making the noise at this moment. She is in Andrea's room kind of walking up against this really, really pretty wardrobe that's in Andrea's room. And so the doors are kind of knocking together and almost like pushing the hangers into the back of the wardrobe. And so she's kind of walking forward in these like three sets and then she stops. And then she'll kind of like move forward again, which causes the doors to like knock against each other. Um, and so Roger takes her back to bed. Nothing super scary at this point, just kind of weird. But as we know, that is not the end and more spooky stuff is coming. So this is what I'm assuming is the next day. Roger lets Carolyn know that Cindy's sleepwalking again. They thought that she had kind of grown out of that phase or, you know, had kind of stopped sleepwalking. She hadn't done it in a while. And this is when Roger notices that Carolyn has more bruises. She's got this really gnarly bruise on like her shoulder blade area, which isn't typically a place where people will bump into things. Uh, He really insists that she see a doctor because he's worried about her, which again, just kind of reinforces this like loving, caring relationship that they have. And you also learn that he drives truck. So he is getting ready to go out on a route. And as he's leaving, he's got his, you know, his little overnight bag for his trip. And there are birds like pigeons flying into the side of the house and are breaking their necks. And so that is another red flag in terms of not the best house. And it, while it's not specifically stated, it looks like Sadie had her neck broken. Um, and that's what ended up happening to her. They don't really show Sadie that much, thankfully. Like, I, it always scares, I hate when they show, like, very graphic dead animals in horror movies because it just, I get that that's supposed to be unsettling and scary, but that's not the scares that we want <laughs> as the audience. But it looks like there's something wrong with Sadie's neck in the little bit that you get to see. So Roger is off on his truck driving route, and the girls are off to school, except for April, because she is too young. So... We see her in her room talking to what we assume is another person. And she's talking about how she misses Sadie and Sadie was one of her best friends. And then she asks this someone if they would like to play. And you see the door open. Like it's such a cool shot. Like there's some really cool shots in this movie and this is one of them. So the door is like cracked open. Like I would say maybe two thirds of the way closed and so you see April and then Carolyn opens the door and you see that the chair across from April at the little like kids table that she's sitting at there's no one sitting in 
And Carolyn's like, oh, like, who are you talking to? And April goes, oh, I'm just talking with my friend Rory, which again, April's at that age. Having imaginary friends really isn't the weirdest thing. Like, you know, she's by herself, at least like when her sisters are at school. And Carolyn, I'm sure, doesn't have all day to spend with her while they're both home together. You know, Carolyn probably is cooking and cleaning and doing stuff. And so April does probably spend a little bit of time playing by herself. So having an imaginary friend isn't super startling or weird. So this is when April shows Carolyn the music box that she found. And she says that if you turn the lever and you wait till the song ends, someone will be in the mirror behind you. You'll see them in the mirror standing behind you, which is just not what you want to hear from a child. Like children are kind of scary, especially in horror movies. And the actress who plays April does such a great job because it's, it's spooky. I do not like it. So Carolyn winds up the music box and is waiting for Rory to appear. And so you see the little mirror. It's a great shot from behind Carolyn. And you see the mirror turning because there's like a spiral on the mirror. So you can tell that like it's actually turning. And so she's waiting for this Rory character to show up. This Rory person. And nothing happens. And then jump scare. April jumps out, scares her mom. It's really great. Such a good like little kid, innocent. Supposed to be innocent, but definitely, you know is a good jump scare for the audience. So then April begs her mom, begs Carolyn to play hide and clap. Nobody lets her play hide and clap. She really, really wants to. She begs her. Carolyn says, fine, we'll do it. We'll play hide and clap. So Carolyn's going to be it. So she puts the blindfold on. She turns in a circle. She asks for the first clap. You hear it coming from down the hallway toward Andrea's room. She asks for the second clap as she kind of gets to Andrea's doorway you see the wardrobe move. Like you see, so you think that April is hiding in the wardrobe. And that's exactly what Carolyn thinks because she hears something going on in the wardrobe. The doors of the wardrobe open and she asks for the second clap. And you see the, like the clothes move within the wardrobe and these hands come out and clap. And while it is not a jump scare, even just talking about it gives me chills like visualizing it back in my head because it's so spooky. And I like, I don't have the like the scared response where I yell when I get scared. I get goosebumps and my eyes start watering. Even just thinking about that scene makes my eyes water. Ooh, it gets me every time and I love it. So Carolyn walks over to the wardrobe and as she's like standing directly in front of it, you hear breathing. You hear breathing that's not Carolyn from inside the wardrobe. And then all of a sudden, April pops up and is like, what do you, like, I win. I was in Christine and Nancy's room. No one was in the wardrobe. Spooky as heck because you see those hands come out. Like, it really almost feels like Carolyn was being lured there on purpose. Like, it was definitely, there was a purpose to that. But so she just kind of writes it off. And you see that Roger's having a hard time. He's not getting a whole lot of roots um, he's got a couple offers for different routes that he can take, but they're kind of lowballing him with the, with the price that he would be paid. And the, so he's having a hard time. Carolyn reassures him that they're going to get through it, that it's just, you know, just one of those little times, but you know, definitely a hard time for the parent family at the moment. So Roger's gone again on a trip to Florida for work and Christine is being messed with in her sleep. This time is much more aggressive than the first time. The first time it was like her feet were pulled twice. She smelled the bad smell that Andrea had talked about. 
And other than that, it pretty much died down. The second time that it happens, it's a lot more aggressive. She's almost completely ripped off of her bed by her ankle or her foot, whatever you want to call it. And she wakes up and she's blaming Nancy. She's telling Nancy to stop touching her feet, to leave her alone, that she's just trying to sleep. And when she kind of wakes up a little bit more, she realizes that Nancy is fast asleep. Definitely not messing with her. She totally gets spooked goes to look under her bed, which is very brave because I don't know, I'm sure everyone had had that happen when they were a child where they wake up from a nightmare or they wake up in the middle of the night and they hear the house creak or they hear a weird noise and you're just kind of paralyzed with fear in your bed. Like, I feel like that's happened to everybody at least once. And so she's very brave for being able to like push herself to look under the bed to see if somebody's there. So then we have this really cool shot where Christine is looking under her bed. So the camera's upside down and you can see the door to their room move. So Christine starts crying and wakes Nancy up, just sobbing about how someone's behind the door, someone's in their room. And Nancy, again, these children are quite brave because Nancy gets out of bed and is like, there's nobody in here. I don't see anyone. She goes and she basically shuts the door from the inside and you're, she's like, there's nobody here. No one's there. She So she's standing by the door and you don't see anything behind her, even though Christine is sure that someone is standing in the corner just behind Nancy. And so then there's a good jump scare because as she's standing by the door, the door slams all the way. Even though she had shut it, I would say maybe halfway, it slams all the way shut. And then they're just screaming. Roger and Carolyn wake up. Again, Carolyn is up and out of bed super fast and knows that it's Christine. She's like, Christine, oh no. Runs into their room and Christine is beside herself. She's completely sobbing. The rest of the girls are up and out of bed and Nancy just looks really confused. The other girls look really confused. And Christine says, someone was in our room. They told me that they want my family dead. As she's saying through tears. And so Chris, Carolyn is hugging her. And Roger just looks really confused. He was very confused at the whole thing. And was like, well, someone just tell me what exactly is happening. Like, I don't know what's going on unless you tell me kind of idea. Very, very dad vibes. Um, so then we're back to the Warrens. This movie kind of jumps back and forth at the beginning between the Warrens and the parents. So now we're back at the Warrens and Ed is trying to sneak off. Lorraine catches him. They have a little conversation about how they're in this together. They're a team. He's worried about her for whatever happened during that exorcism. We're still not entirely sure. So they go to this couple's house, the wife, or I'm assuming the wife, they don't really say, but I'm assuming the wife is very worried because they keep hearing these really scary noises. And Ed explains that there's water coming off of one of the pipes in the attic, which is causing the floorboards to expand where the water is kind of dripping and the boards are rubbing together and it's kind of echoing around the pipes and through the attic. And so it's making this like weird, almost moaning like ghost ooh kind of sound. And this just kind of shows that a lot of times there can be rational explanations for people thinking that their house is haunted. They say most of the time it is just a rational explanation and that's why they're there to help, just to make sure people feel safe, just to make sure that they are actually safe. And that's just kind of what the Warrens do. So we jump back to the parents and we see that Carolyn has been prescribed iron pills. So the bruises are kind of spreading to more parts of her body. She's got one like on her forearm now. Uh, she's up folding laundry. The girls are all asleep and Roger is gone on another route. 
So as she's folding laundry, she's got music playing on the radio and she thinks that she hears the girls playing hide and clap. So she goes into full mom mode. She's like, it's way past your girls' bedtime. You should be asleep. Uh, And she walks out to investigate. And she sees that all of the girls are in their beds. So she walks to the first room, which happens to be Christine and Nancy's. They're both in bed. And as she's on her way to Andrea's room to check on Andrea, jump scare. All of the picture frames that are on the wall, kind of leading up the staircase to the second story of the house, crash down. Not just fall down, but like someone just came and knocked them all off the wall. Huge crashing sounds. She comes running downstairs to see exactly what happened. And as she's downstairs, she hears more clapping and she's trying to figure out who's clapping because it seems like all of the girls are in bed. So now she's worried that someone's broken into the house. This is when she hears the cellar door open. And so she walks in and she's kind of looking around downstairs and she says, I don't know who you are, how you got in here, but I'm going to lock you in. And basically, I think she's going to call the police and, and lock whoever broke into her house inside. And so as she goes to turn and leave kind of that little closet area where Christine pushed Nancy when they were playing hide and clap in the beginning, she's kind of in that little closet. The door shuts and she ends up falling down the stairs into the cellar. So she knocks into the piano while she's on the floor trying to recollect herself. You know, I think she hit her head. She was just kind of trying to get reoriented with herself. A ball comes up over a bunch of the junk in the cellar. Definitely not something that could have just happened on its own. Someone had to throw that over the top of, you know, the the dresser or the bookcase or, you know, the little end table, whatever it was that it came up and over. And so that's like, yeah, definitely something slash someone is in the basement. So she goes crawling slash running mountain climber up the stairs and can't get out. Like she's still kind of locked in. And so this is where that really great scene from the trailers comes in. And so she takes the matches that Roger had earlier that were still sitting in that closet and she lights one because there's no light. As she was scrambling up the stairs, the light bulb burst. So she takes it and she's, you know, looking, breathing really heavy. This is, again, one of those times where there's no sound happening. There's no music. There's no nothing. It's just Carolyn's breathing and like you hear her striking the match of like that kind of scraping sound. And this is when you hear someone whisper in Carolyn's ear, want to play hide and clap? And then you hear and see two hands appear by her face and clap next to her. And that scene also gets me every single time I remember seeing it in the trailer and being like, I have to see this movie I need to see it as soon as it comes out. I was so excited because of that one scene in the trailer and the movie was amazing. I absolutely love it. Super scary. So then huge kind of uh, instrumental sound comes in and you hear the door rattling and Carolyn screaming because she can't get out of that closet and clearly something slash someone is in there with her. So then while she's locked kind of in that cellar basement area, we go to Andrea's room and Cindy is in her room sleepwalking, trying to get into the wardrobe again. Andrea wakes up and just decides, I'm just going to put Cindy to bed with me. That's what her dad had said. Just put her back to bed. Don't wake her up. You know, kind of the normal that you hear about people sleepwalking. Don't wake them up. Just try and get them back to bed. So Andrea gets up, puts Cindy in her bed, and then... The wardrobe still is shutting three times like Cindy's walking into it, but Cindy is now in her bed. So she goes over to look at it to kind of see maybe what could 
be causing that to happen. And at this point, Cindy rises up from Andrea's bed, very like vampire-esque kind of style, just like from her core, sits straight up and sees this witch looking figure on top of the wardrobe between like the top of the wardrobe and the ceiling. And then she like gasp, gasps and points. And that's when Andrea sees it too. And then this witch jumps down and starts attacking Andrea. And they're like rolling around on the floor. And at this point, it's just full house of screams. Everyone is screaming. And at that point, Roger is pulling in in his truck after having a long trip, I'm sure, tired of being in the car, excited to be home. And he pulls in and gets out and just hears nothing but blood curdling screams coming from his wife and his daughters. So he comes in and immediately goes to the cellar because that's kind of the first door that he would come to and he hears the pounding. And so he lets Carolyn out and he's like, what's going on? And she rushes past him and instantly goes up to Andrea. Like this woman, you could cut her leg off and she's like, nope, my children need something. We're doing it. She's very, she's such a good mom. Like I love that they played her character like this. I'm sure that's exactly how Carolyn Perrin was in real life, but I really love that they... You can see just how much that character is full mom mode all the time, um, which is great. She loves her kids and, you know, will fight demons for them, basically. <laughs> so they go up and they flip on Andrea's light where all the other screaming is coming from. And Andrea's rolling around on the floor, but nothing's on top of her. Like the witch figure, whatever, is now gone. And so everyone's screaming and crying and Roger's like, well, you just, someone needs to tell me what's happening. Someone needs to let me know what's going on. And he is totally freaking out because he just walked into this chaos that he has no idea about, even with kind of all the spooky stuff that's happening in the house. Definitely concerning, which totally fair, Roger. Totally fair. So after that, the Warrens are giving another lecture at a different university in Massachusetts and Carolyn shows up and wants Ed and Lorraine's help to, you know, kind of come take a look at their house. She's really worried about her daughters and herself and her husband and just really would love them to come and take a look. So there's a couple interesting things about the scene. The first is that the real Lorraine Warren is there. She's in like that front row um, of the lecture hall. She's that older woman. They pan right by her when they show Carolyn sitting in the audience. Um, so that's really cool. And then you also learn that exorcisms are dangerous for everyone in the room, which kind of ties back to the whole something happened to Lorraine during an exorcism, but we're not really sure yet. And Ed also talks about the idea of possession and how there's three stages to that. There's infestation, oppression, and then possession. Carolyn convinces them to come and check out the house kind of by playing into Lorraine's mom, like maternal instincts. Uh, she, you know, she's like, you have a daughter. Wouldn't you do anything to keep her safe? Like I have five daughters who are completely terrified and so scared and I just want them to be okay. And so Lorraine basically decides for the both of them that yes, of course they're going to go check it out. Of course they'll, they'll see kind of what's going on. And so when they show up, they do a little walkthrough. You learn that the family has all started sleeping downstairs in the house. Roger tells Ed and Lorraine about the knocking that they hear and the clock stopping. And uh, Vera plays this part as Lorraine really well because she's totally off in this scene. She seems like very uncomfortable. And you kind of just think, oh, it's because the house is haunted. Like this wouldn't be a movie if the house was totally fine. 
So something's clearly wrong with the house. And they'll show you later kind of what Lorraine sees as she's going through the house. But you don't see until a couple minutes later that she's seeing the dark entity that is attached to their family. So they go down to the cellar and Lorraine says that something really awful happened down there. Ed and Lorraine interview Roger and Carolyn. And Lorraine also interviews April about Rory. And April thinks that something bad happens to him, but she's not exactly sure what. Uh, She lets Lorraine use the music box and Lorraine actually sees Rory. So this is the first time that we as an audience see the character of Rory and realize that Rory isn't just an imaginary friend that April has made up. Rory is a real basically ghost child that uh, April has been playing with. Lorraine takes a walk out back in kind of the backyard area and there's this really pretty like swamp slash river. I don't really know what you would call it. I don't think it technically would be classified as a river. Um, It's kind of more like swampy. Reminds me a lot of Louisiana, um, kind of what you would picture, you know, swamps behind houses. But anyway, so she goes for a walk outside. I think kind of just trying to catch her breath. So she walks under the tree in the backyard and you can kind of tell that something's bothering her, but you're not exactly what until Ed shows up. And then you hear what sounds like rope swinging back and forth. And as she turns to Ed, she has this terrified look on her face. And he looks confused. And right next to him, you just see these nasty looking feet right next to his head. Because something is hanging, something slash someone is hanging from the tree. Even though they're not, but as you know, that's kind of Lorraine's clairvoyant type uh, visions that she can see as someone hanging from the tree. And so then it pans out and you actually see that it's a woman. So then Lorraine almost faints and Ed has to catch her. This is when they kind of start taking their exit. Ed tells Roger that he should look at getting the girls baptized and that the house itself needs a cleansing or an exorcism. They're going to need to get some evidence to be able to do that because it needs to be done properly by an ordained priest, and so they need evidence to be able to get that kind of authorized by the church. Ed and Lorraine get home to their house, and they're going to do some research on the property, kind of see what they can find about previous owners and things like that. There's a very sweet moment between Judy and Lorraine, where Judy gives Lorraine a necklace, specifically a locket, that she found a matching set of. And so in Lorraine's locket is a picture of Judy and Judy's locket is a picture of Ed and Lorraine, which is very sweet. And Lorraine puts hers on right away and continues to wear it throughout the film. While doing research on the house, they find that the house and the property belong to a witch who had sacrificed her seven-day-old child to the devil and went out to the tree in the backyard, cursed anyone who was going to take her land and then killed herself. And so this is the person that you see hanging from the tree when Lorraine and Ed are in the backyard just before she almost faints. And so this is all happening um, in the middle of the night after like Judy's gone to sleep. Ed comes in to tell Lorraine that Carolyn's voice didn't record. When they interviewed her and Roger, they had, you know, like a giant recorder uh, kind of taping the conversation. And you can hear Ed asking her questions, but you can't hear Carolyn's voice at all. This is when Lorraine tells Ed about the witch who used to live on the property. She also says that a boy named Rory went missing and his mom killed herself in the cellar and a maid in a neighboring house killed herself and that a boy drowned in a nearby pond. And so Bathsheba, the witch who used to live in the property, they said had over 200 acres of land that she cursed when she took her own life. 
And so while they're recording this, the tape recorder that Ed had brought into the room, basically showing that Carolyn's voice didn't record, starts playing by itself. And when it's supposed to be her voice, you hear this very demonic, very uncomfortable, unsettling sound coming from the tape recorder. And it pans to the clock next to the tape recorder. And it is 3.07 a.m., which Lorraine learned in her research that is the time that the witch died. That is her time of death. So now that they've done their research into the house, they are ready to show up and start investigating to get their evidence so that an exorcism can be performed on the house. So the Warrens show up with their tech guy, Drew, and a police officer, Officer Brad. Drew gives Brad kind of crap about having a gun because you can't shoot ghosts. He's just kind of playing around with them. Drew's young, and he's really just messing with them. It's all supposed to be in good fun. They set the house up to investigate temperature cameras and they've got a uv light and all the stuff that they're going to use to hopefully capture evidence of you know paranormal activity and potential demonic possession so i have to talk about one of my favorite lines in the whole film so while they're setting up the temperature cameras outside it's ed brad and roger outside setting things up Roger's asking why we're putting cameras out here. Like, why in the backyard? Why at the tree? And the way that Ed says this is where the witch committed suicide, he has a very strong, like, Canadian accent when he says it. I can't do it. I'm not even going to attempt to do a Canadian accent. But if you go back and listen, like, it pulls me out of the movie every single time. But I love it so much that even if I put this on as background noise... If I know that that part's coming, I will stop whatever I'm doing and like pay attention because it's my favorite line. It seems so random, but he's just like, this is where the witch committed suicide. And the way that he said, I don't know, I think it's the word suicide that sounds Canadian, but it just totally does not sound like his Ed Warren character. (laughs) While the guys are kind of setting up, Lorraine and Carolyn are chatting and Carolyn is talking about the pictures that keep being, you know, knocked off the walls and so there's a picture of the family at the beach and so they're talking about that beach day and how Carolyn was just so excited to start this new chapter and kind of start fresh in their new house and now of course all of this stuff is happening and it's really you know really upsetting and she just has so much love for her family and you can really tell in this moment when she's talking about them of she really would do anything to make sure that Roger and the girls are safe. And I honestly think that this, you know, the strong love that she feels for her family is kind of why it took so long for the witch to possess her. Her love for her family and her just heart is what kept her around so long from being possessed. So that evening, the temperature cameras go off by the cellar door and they decide to go down and investigate. So Ed goes in with Lorraine and Brad. Brad basically has this giant um, camcorder camera that he's recording everything on. Feels very, you know, paranormal activity, uh, ghost hunter type vibes. So nothing really notable happens in the cellar at this moment, aside from Lorraine feeling kind of sick. The camera pans to her and she's all bent over, you know, kind of when you feel a little bit nauseous. Um, And I really like that they added this found footage handheld camera feature because it definitely feels more authentic. And just having that extra scene of, you know, a wobbly, grainy 70s camera um, just really kind of adds to the vibe that I think James Wan was going for. So they come out of the cellar. They didn't, you know, nothing crazy happened while they were down there. But once they all come back up and they're kind of chatting, the door slams shut. 
And Officer Brad kind of jumps a little bit. And so later on, Drew kind of gives Brad crap about how, oh, you know, looked like you were pretty scared when that door shut. And he was like, oh, I think, you know, it's just the wind. And Drew's like, the wind's never given me that look on my face before. Other than that, nothing really notable happens that first night. Really just the door slamming and kind of the temperature camera going off near the cellar door. But nothing super crazy. So the next day, everyone is happy and feeling good. Officer Brad's going to go do his shift. He'll be back later. Roger's going to take the girls out for ice cream. And Lorraine is going to do some laundry and kind of help out around the house um, while Carolyn takes a nap. She's still feeling really tired, just kind of overwhelmed with everything, I think. And so Lorraine's downstairs doing laundry, hanging clothes on the line so that they'll dry. And a powerful woman comes up and takes one of the sheets off the clothing line And there's a silhouette of a body, like the sheet wraps around a body that's standing there. And so it like freezes there for a second and then the sheet continues to fly away. And you see someone in the window upstairs where Carolyn's room is, where she's laying down. Lorraine sees this and goes to rush upstairs to check on Carolyn because of course she's worried because we know that the witch is, you know, around and has cursed people who have taken her land. So at this moment, while Lorraine is rushing upstairs, the witch appears over Carolyn and does the classic demonic possession vomits into Carolyn's mouth. The like really black, nasty, almost tar looking vomit uh, right into Carolyn's mouth. And you can see bruises forming on her arm like someone has grabbed her, uh, you know, while she's while she's taken down from a nap. And so she gets up, goes into the bathroom. Lorraine goes to check on her and she comes out of the bathroom and just says that she felt a little sick, but she's fine. No big deal. And Roger and the girls come home. So she's going to go see them. She kind of like avoids Lorraine and answering Lorraine's questions about how she's feeling and like what's going on. When Roger gets back, him and Ed have a little conversation kind of just about, you know, their families and things like that. And Ed tells Roger that, you know, he will be there for the exorcism most likely, but Lorraine won't be because she had a bad experience with an exorcism in the past. And Ed doesn't want to put her through that again because he's still not exactly sure what happened. All he knows is that she saw something that really scared her and she locked herself in their bedroom for eight days after the last exorcism that she was a part of. And so we don't learn until the second conjuring what exactly Lorraine saw, but what she ended up seeing, which I'll just tell you guys now, is she ended up seeing Ed's death. So she saw how Ed was going to die, basically a premonition of his death, and that is what had her so scared. And basically that almost happens in the second one, spoiler alert, Um, and she has to save him from the premonition basically that she had seen all those years before. So later that night, the girls are in bed, they're starting their investigation, and Brad goes to get some more coffee in the kitchen and he hears something on the back porch. He goes out to look around and he sees in like the side room area, which kind of looks like maybe the laundry room because there's, um, you know, stuff hanging on lines in that room. Uh, off kind of the sunroom or the screened-in porch area that you could say, there's a woman dressed as a maid. And so like the research has shown, I guess a maid had killed herself in one of the other properties on the land that the witch had cursed. And so he went up to like see if she was okay. And she's like holding her arms out so you can see that she had, you know, cut cut herself. And the the maid says, look what she made me do. And told, and then she just vanishes. And Brad's like, hey, like, what's going on? Where did you go? What, what's going on? And then jump scare, she really pops out right in his face and yells, look what she made me do. 
Brad totally freaks out. Not totally freaks out. Brad moderately freaks out for what happens. He tells Ed, Lorraine, and Drew what he saw. And as he's kind of explaining what happened, Sydney starts sleepwalking up toward the steps again. She's going to the wardrobe and she's talking to someone. Drew can hear it on the mics that they set up in Andrea's room. And the door shuts behind her and the guys can't get in. So Roger and Ed are trying to break the door down along with Brad and they can't get it to like budge. When they finally get in the room, Cindy is nowhere to be found. So Ed has Brad go down and get a UV light from Drew so they can see where any handprints or footprints were. They see that she has gone into the wardrobe. And so they get her out of the wardrobe. She doesn't remember anything that happened. And Lorraine decides to crawl into the wardrobe after April nonchalantly says to her, that's where Rory hides when he's afraid. As Lorraine crawls back there, she sees kind of these shelves on the side area within the wardrobe. And there's a little spot where the music box used to sit because there's dust everywhere except for, you know, there's the spot for the music box. And so she asks for the music box, sets it there, basically confirms that that's where it came from. And then she falls through the floor of the wardrobe, through the walls, kind of. There's like a little crawl space, I guess is what you would call it, area, and falls into the basement. When she falls into the basement, she hears a woman crying, and she still has the music box in her hand, and so she cranks the little handle, and it starts, you know, the little mirror starts spinning. And behind her, in the mirror, she can see Rory's mom holding a knife, holding Rory. And so at this point, she realizes that, you know, Rory's mom killed him. And then kind of like when she saw the witch hanging from the tree, you hear kind of the rope swinging and then you see Rory's mom's feet. Rory's mom, kind of another jump scare, gets in Lorraine's face and says, look what she made me do. So Lorraine is totally freaked out. She crawls out from under like the little area that she fell into in the cellar and goes to run up the stairs and the demon grabs grabs hold of her locket and is trying to pull her back down. The chain on the locket snaps and she gets away. But in that moment while she was in the basement slash cellar, whatever you want to call it, she realizes that the witch has been possessing mothers to kill their children. And it's such a great realization moment because Lorraine is so concerned. And she's like, she possesses the mother to kill the child. That's what she's doing to Carolyn. That's what the bruise marks are. She's feeding off of her. She's trying to take hold of Carolyn so that Carolyn will kill her children and then kill herself. Once things kind of start to calm down, uh, the girls are kind of gathered in the living room area and you see Nancy's hair start rising up toward the ceiling, almost defying gravity. And then all of a sudden she is yanked up off the ground by her hair and dragged around the room. They have to take scissors and cut a piece of her, a chunk of her hair off. They have to take scissors and cut a chunk of her hair off to get her to stop being pulled around the room by the witch. Thankfully, this gets recorded on the handheld camcorder, and now they have sufficient evidence, and everyone kind of gathers up to leave the house so that they can go talk to Father Gordon, who's their liaison at the Catholic Church, and hope that he can push things through to the Vatican to get the exorcism approved for the house. 
While they're packing everything up, Lorraine goes back down by the water in the backyard and sees a vision of her daughter Judy floating in the water. She gets worried and thinks that this is a warning. She calls her mother from the parents' home and asks her mother to check on Judy because she's the one home watching her right now. Judy's fine. Everything's good. Lorraine's worried, but that's okay. They take the evidence to Father Gordon. He agrees to push it through to the Vatican on his own account and try and get the exorcism approved as soon as possible. While Ed and Lorraine are traveling back to their home in Connecticut, their daughter Judy is basically attacked by Bathsheba and Annabelle in the middle of the night. She wakes up in the middle of the night, goes into kind of this little side room in their house where there's this rocking chair, and she sees the witch rocking Annabelle in the chair. She freaks out, and this is right as Ed and Lorraine are arriving home in the middle of the night. Uh, Ed is able to bust down the door and pull Judy out just in time, and she tells them that someone was rocking in the chair with Annabelle. When Ed goes into the artifacts room, however, Annabelle is sitting in her little case looking smug as heck, and I do not like it. She's a creepy little doll. Mm -mm, no thank you. Immediately after this happens, Ed and Lorraine get a call from Roger, and he is letting them know that Carolyn has taken the two youngest daughters, April and Christine, back to the house so that she can sacrifice them to Satan. Ed and Lorraine show up at the house with Roger and try to get Carolyn out of the house along with the girls, and the witch has such a stronghold on her that if they try and take her out of the house, the witch will kill her. They're trying to pull her in or pull her out of the front door and she's just being covered in bruises her, she's turning purple she's crying in pain not crying like tears but just screaming in pain and she gets pulled back into the house like very aggressively and pulled into the basement the exorcism needs to be done now they have no time to wait no approval from the church, Ed decides that he is going to do the exorcism. He says that he won't do it with Lorraine present. They have a little argument and she says, I'm not going anywhere. We're in this together. We're a team. I'm going to go get the book, meaning the Bible, so that we can get this done and we can try and save her and the girls. They have to tie Carolyn to a chair so that she stays put and they can try and do the exorcism. She hovers off the floor. She coughs up blood. Brad is also at the house with them and brought his regular police shotgun with him. Uh, Carolyn is able to kind of possess hold of the shotgun and tries to fire it at Ed. Brad saves him just in time but ends up getting grazed in the arm. Drew gets Christine out of the house and puts her in the car, says that he'll be right back. He just needs to get April and goes back into the house and looks for April. But April has crawled under the house, basically when Carolyn had them in the basement and they had to pull her off of the girls when they first arrived. Uh, April got so scared and she crawled under basically the foundation of the house. We find out that she has crawled under the kitchen and Drew soon finds out and when Carolyn hovers off the floor while the exorcism is being performed, she basically drops herself and the chair breaks out from under her. At that moment, Drew calls out that April is under the kitchen, so Carolyn immediately crawls under the house after April toward the kitchen. They all scramble after her, but but Carolyn is able to get to April. Ed distracts her by saying Bathsheba's name out loud, which is the only power to have over a demon. And Lorraine pulls the memory forward in Carolyn's brain of the beach day while Ed finishes the exorcism. Carolyn then vomits out all of the demon and it all settles within the house. 
Um, you know, basically when the demon vomited into Carolyn earlier, Carolyn had to get all of that out. They leave the house, uh, you know, all of the bruises fade away from Carolyn's body. She looks a lot less sickly than she did when they arrived at the house. And April actually found Lorraine's locket while she was crawling under the house and gives it back to her. As we get back to that happy family, um, everyone's safe. Dawn is coming up, the sun is coming up, the birds are singing, everything is back to peace. Ed and Lorraine Warren get home and Ed goes to put the music box in the artifacts room. Lorraine goes to let Ed know that Father Gordon called and the exorcism was approved. He also has another case for them that he would like to chat with them about the next morning if they have time. And the movie ends with the music box opening and playing as it zooms in on the mirror of the box. And you totally think that something's going to be there. You're just waiting because it's just the music and the little mirror is turning and you're waiting for something to happen. And then the screen just goes black. And that is how The Conjuring ends. Oh, this movie is so good. I want to watch it again. I've seen it so many times, but it's so good. Even just talking about it gave me the chills and like the eye water effect that I typically have. And it's so good. If you've not seen it, I know I just spoiled everything. Give it a shot though. The cast is great. The filming is great. I love the fact that they shot it in chronological order. James Wan really understands how to film a horror movie and direct it. Just chef's kiss. So good. A million out of ten. We'll continue to watch it for the rest of my life. And that is The Conjuring. Thank you guys so much for tagging along on this one with me. It's so good. I love it so much. If you guys liked the pod, want to give it a follow on social media it is m as in massacre murder movies so that's m murder movies on instagram and twitter feel free to give us a follow so that you know what episodes are next when they're coming out um i'm hoping to post every single friday and the next one that we're going to get into is house on haunted hill the original with vincent price i'm super excited to go old school for the next one that one's really amazing um and yeah, I hope everyone has a great day or night wherever they are. And I'll see you in the next one. Stay spooky.